Do you aspire to be a fire officer? Are you a veteran who wants to stay relevant? Or are you currently working in the emergency management industry? Join your host, John Alston, as he blazes through current industry trends, events, and tips for management and officer development. Learn from industry leaders and discover how to network with peers and emergency management leaders. Welcome to the Fire Officer Trust Podcast. Butler. Thank you very much. And now we have our keynote speaker. So, our, so our, our next speaker is the fire chief of the New Haven Fire Department in in, in Connecticut, where he commenced the more than 360 proud professional men and women of the fire service. Chief Alston was a 10-year veteran of the Jersey City Heavy Rescue Company, which responded to the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. Chief Alston retired from Jersey City Fire. Department as a, as a deputy chief of staff, where he spent 31 years. He has a very fundamental belief in the true mission of emergency services: to prepare yourself to meet the needs of people for any emergency. Use the best practices and share them. Someone's life depends on it, maybe even your own. I want to welcome Chief Alston. Thank you, Chief. Mm -hmm. This is why they have handrails. <laughs> good morning. It is so good to see uh, many of you. I want to thank the committee. Uh, I want to acknowledge uh, President Jenkins for his leadership. Um, the program this week has been phenomenal, even the speakers that you had yesterday. But uh, Administrator, we do have to get that uh, those talking points together because each of us, I believe, stole a line from the other. But I was going to dovetail into that because I wanted to acknowledge Chief Butler. I wanted to use that to let us know and recognize that we still have work to do. The very fact that he would be subjected to what he is being subjected to without even giving a chance to prove himself shows that we still have work to do. I want to acknowledge some of my uh, cohorts and colleagues from many of the uh, 33 years that I've spent in the, in the uh, fire service, emergency services, both the National Fire Academy friends, my EDI family, um, my new family from Chief's Edge this week, who was rocking and shocking uh, with Mary Beth this week. Um, I want to thank you for that. Uh, when I got here this morning, um, I used to produce television shows. So when uh, I heard that you had a script, I said, great, we can work with that. Dr. Fonseca, as soon as you said, I'm going off script, I started sweating because I wasn't sure where we were going. So I may zip through some things because like you, I've got some classes to attend today as well. When we talk about diversity, we know that there's a culture thing out there. There, is this, there are people that talk about culture in the fire service and they also talk about fire service culture being a myth. All right. I've even seen statements out there that said, when people, leadership, talk about the fire service culture, that we are using, leaders are using that as a crutch for a lack of accountability and poor leadership. That's the backlash when we, when we try to discuss what's going on with diversity and with fire service culture. 
Well, John Butler's situation, not to exacerbate it, but the very fact that that's going on proves that we've still got a long way to go. I'd like to thank everyone uh, who was involved, the committee. Uh, I want to thank my mentors who are not here. Uh, one, because he's traveling in Europe, uh, which is Dr. Dennis O'Neill, who I worked with since 1986 and continue to work with. Uh, he's one of those people everyone in this room knows. If you reach out to Doc, if he doesn't have an answer, he's going to call you back with an answer and someone else that can help you. The other person is, is no longer here or with us is Dr. Carl Holmes, who was my mentor for many, many years. Uh, and I miss him tremendously. The ground rules are don't throw any rocks. However you feel, don't throw any rocks. I'm going to try and share my experience with the fire service and what I've seen in our profession, the trends, the culture, and where I think we need to go. Let us agree to disagree, but not become disagreeable. If we can get to the point where the exits are already clearly marked, if you disagree so much, you walk out. If you got to get to class, walk out. But the fact that you are here this morning, uh, I believe you mentioned that we're preaching to the choir. You know what? Sometimes the choir needs to hear the sermon, too. We need to stop singing. Sometimes we need the message. I don't say that I'm the messenger. What I'm saying is we need to have that discussion with each other because the answers that we need this morning are right here in this room. And the people that can get it done are right here in this room. We just have to be committed to move from culture to caring. How I got here, that's me. <laughs> that's me, about four years old in Jersey City, 1964. That's my godmother taking me to church. She gave me license to do a whole lot of things, including sleep in church, which was great. <laughs> she was my support system along with my parents, but she was the first person outside of my family, not aunts and uncles, who kind of got a sense that for some reason I needed to be protected from different things. She always went the extra mile to explain things to me. If you see that porch right back there, that's 36 Orion Avenue. It's Coldwater Flat. Anyone know what a shotgun apartment is? It's a shotgun apartment. I was the baby. I was the only boy. The only great thing was I had two sisters. Being the only boy and being the baby, I didn't have to share anything. I didn't have to share anything. From, work, from sitting on that porch, my parents bought me a fire truck because I loved fire trucks. Firehouse was right around the corner. All I knew was that was big, beautiful, loud, and everything got, everyone got out of their way. And whatever that was, that's what I wanted to be. Whatever that thing was, and the first time I saw a tiller truck, it looked like that person in the back was pushing that truck around the corner. And whatever that was, that's what I wanted to be. Didn't know what they did. But I also had to measure that with the images I saw on TV with fire hoses being turned on people that look like me. How could I reconcile that with those nice guys from around the corner? And the one day that I cut my hand on that metal truck, it was a Tonka, 1952, anyone knows how big and heavy they are. Cut my hand, my dad took it away from me. And I cried. And every time I saw a fire truck, I cried. One day they stopped in front of the house and said, can he ride around the corner? And that was it. I was bitten by the bug for which there is no cure. That was it. I was going to be a firefighter. Went to college, I still was going to be a firefighter. 
where we came from, the fire service, that culture that I was exposed to as a four-year-old and now getting older and wanting to be a firefighter, trying to find out how to get there, the traditional fire department, the old fire department, was racist, sexist, and homophobic. It was a closed shop and resistive to change. Sometimes lewd, crude, and obnoxious, all male, with ethnicity, ethnicity transitioning over a slow period of time. And it depended on where you were in the country. There were first the Dutch and the German. Then there were the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Then there were the Irish. Then there were the Italians. And then in the 50s, 60s, you started to see blacks and African-Americans. You started to see Hispanic, Latino. You started to see some women. But very, very slow growth, very, very slow transition. And each group claimed their space. I get that. I understand that. But that's what we had to go through. And we fought fires, hopefully not the way we do now. Fast, close, hot, wet. Get in, get close, put water on the seat of the fire. You might get wet, you're going to be uncomfortable, and you go home. Do you know where that practice came from? Benjamin Franklin. The first volunteer companies used that practice. I hope we're still not doing that now. Fast, close, hot, and wet. And yes, we were biased. It was an interesting conversation yesterday with Mr. Hassan, I believe his name was. Didn't know that you were going to have him here uh, yesterday when I listened to his story. It was an amazing story. How many people in here have bias? OK, I'm going to get off there. How many people in here have bias? Thank you. We've all got bias. We've all got bias. I was going to use Walmart as an example. And uh, Chief Jenkins told me to be very careful because they're a good, <laughs> good place. <laughs> I'll just tell you what's happened. Anybody ever in, been in Walmart? All right, we've all been in Walmart. Okay. How many times have you walked up and looked at the line and saw one line moving one way, one line moving one way? You looked at the carts, you saw how many items they had, and then you looked at the person behind the cashier, behind the cash register, and in an instant, you made a choice of either taking this line or that line. Not knowing anything about their efficiency, their training, whether they were training someone else, whether they were just starting their shift or not, you just looked at them and said, I'm not going to use that line. I'm going to get in this line. And how many times were you wrong? Because the other line started moving more quickly. We do that as human beings. It's in our nature. Some bias is good, some of it not so good. We had the scientific explanation of it yesterday, that we have a slow brain, we have a fast brain. I've been accused of having both, not always working in harmony with each other, but I've had that, the slow brain and the fast brain. We've got bias. The most amazing thing was when I listened to the Walmart story yesterday and I went back to those examples that I've used in my own life, I said, you know what, I'm guilty too. Rich Thode, my buddy's over from Bridgeport, uh, Connecticut. Bridgeport, Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut, and New Haven are the larger towns. And we shoot emails back and forth all the time because we don't have all the answers. What are you doing about this? What are you doing about recruitment? I even asked them last week, who's doing your background checking? Because we're thinking about changing. You have the opportunities to tweak our system to make it better. All we have to do is say that we need the help and reach out. That's all we got to do. Alexis de Cocqueville. Diplomat and historian, you know what he said? He loved America, he was French. 
He said in 1835, we had a wonderful experiment going on here. Because not like in England, Europe, or any place else, not even in France, you could come to this country, associate with your own, or associate with people that weren't like you. Because in the old process, it was autocratic and, the, and, and theocratic. In other words, what God did you serve? What church or faith did you have? And where were you stationed? What was your lot at birth? And many times, that followed you until you died. Only in America could you associate with your own and you could associate with others. And you could change your lot. So what did he say? He, you know what he ended up talking about? He ended up talking about these social preferences that we have. He called them bonding and bridging. We bonded with the people that we liked and we knew and we could associate with and assimilate with. And then the others were the bridges that we could make. Then enters Robert Putnam in 2000 and says, that's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. In fact, the more choices that we have, the more separate we will be. In 2000, he was talking about the downside of diversity. I thought we were just getting it right by then. Many of the consent decrees were expiring. Many uh, persons from the non-traditional fire department were now in places of authority. They could select people. But we still had a problem with diversity. Some of the causes of bias and separation The social capital, the practice of associating with those like us and those that are not like us. Neither of them could have been imagined with the impact of the internet. Once the internet started, believe it or not, that was supposed to bridge all of us and decentralize our communications. You know what it did? It created even more silos. The proliferation of smartphones and the rise of social media separated us even more. Because now we've found out with social media and through the use of cookies, our news is tailored to our taste. We're getting our news from the same folks that think the same way that we do. Now introduce an outside influence to that, that preys on our biases, that preys on our challenges, that preys on our differences, Infuse that and magnify it through social media. There's a great book by uh, Clinton Watts called Messing with the Enemy. He talks about how our systems were used against us. And the new firefighter, I was an old firefighter. Anybody remember the public phone in the firehouse? Okay, the one public phone. It taught us what? Staying off of it. It taught us management. It taught us a hierarchy. And if you were the new person, you never even touched the phone, right? Or the senior firefighters would get with you, if you can understand what I'm saying. You didn't touch it. Now everyone not only has their own phone, they have their own bunk. They have their own cubicle. And I go to firehouses and see earbuds in people's ears. We are isolating ourselves even more. How do we fix that in this room? How do we reach people who are intent on separating themselves? How do we do it? Now, my wife's not here, so I have to keep looking at my watch. Unless, uh, though, you could. Thanks, brother. He's got me. Watts calls these social bubbles. He calls them social bubbles because eventually 
they're going to start to burst. We have fighting in our firehouses now because a football player took a knee. My God. What state have we come to as a profession who put our hands up and not only said we would help people, but we would defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, but we're fighting each other before we even provide the help that we swore we would do. What state have we come to? It's not all doom and gloom, but things got to be a little bad for a little while for us, and they've got to change. The current status now, the current culture, is right the people that are in this room right now are working to find solutions. We have to fix the disjointedness, the disconnects. We have to fix those. And only the people in this room can do it. And you know who your team members are when you leave here. You know the people that you can rely on when you get out of this place. Let's not come to another conference, another conference, another conference. Take those notes and stuff them in the back of some drawer somewhere. There's a lot of information that we can share here. Where we need to be. We've got to move from culture to caring. When I first thought about this, I was going to say move from culture to courage. But everybody in this room is courageous. You fight fires. Hell. You save lives. You run into situations that most people won't run into. So courage isn't lacking. It's matching caring, courage, and commitment. That's what's necessary. And the folks that are in this room can do that. When we start to look at caring, we begin to cast a wider net. That's how we fix the fire service. And we're not broken, but we need some tweaking. Fire and emergency management, we need tweaking. Because we're serving a diverse community, a diverse population. We should have diversity on the other side, sharing and helping to fix those things and, and, and rely on the strength of our differences, not seeing them as a weakness, not seeing them as a negative, the strength of our differences. Because what I can't do, you may be able to. We need to assess the needs of our communities. We need to see people as people. There's a, there's a wonderful poem by Ralph Ellerson, and he was talking about his experience being black, being qualified, but never being given an opportunity. He said, I am an invisible man. I am a man of substance, fiber, bone, and ligament. And I might even be said to possess a mind. I'm invisible simply because people refuse to see me. Do we have invisible people now in our own organizations? who are looking for an opportunity, looking for a chance that we simply look by. I got another one for you. Where am I? Tight. All right, here we go. How many times have you pulled up into those same big box stores where the stripe lines are right in front of the door? And you looked at the person about to cross, and rather than stopping and yielding, which is the law, to let them go by, you decided to go. I watch things like that. I watch the people that do that too. And unfortunately, there's a pattern. There's a pattern. The next time you're there, watch it yourself. We're gonna zip real quick, because my brother said I'm out of town. 
When we start to care about people, we will inform them and give them an opportunity to serve. We need to slow down our judgment of others. So when I heard that Walmart speech, when you were talking about the slow brain and the uh, fast brain, there was a whole piece I had. Believe me, I deleted it. Took the took the videos out as well. I want you to look at the Procter and Gamble model. Procter and Gamble provides 4.6 billion people services and products worldwide. 4.6 billion. There are 9 billion people on the planet. And you know what they came up with since we're a worldwide company and we're serving 4.6 billion people all over the world? I guess we ought to start hiring some of them. Cut down on the travel, you know what I mean? There's a wonderful report up there about inclusion and diversity. You should read it. We don't need the definition of diversity. It used to be called affirmative action. All it really is is giving people an opportunity. Diversity matters. It really does. In the public safety arena, when providing services to the public, serving a diverse community, when it comes to having the strength of multiple resources, we've got to have diversity. When giving opportunities for growth and promotions, when you consider the economic impact, because the model I used in New Haven, we're going to realize $2.6 million back into the city coffers in goods and services by hiring the people that live there and represent the community. So we've got an economic windfall just by hiring the people from the community. And there's a way to do that legally, ethically. The old model was just to advertise and make announcements and wait for the list to be promulgated and that was it. And when you had spaces, you hired people. Dr. O'Neill and I, in 1990, worked on this thing called the interest form. I'm going to be closing. Give me three minutes. I'll wrap this up. The interest form was a way in New Jersey for us to extend our recruitment. Because what would happen is you only had 30 days from the time the applications were available to the time they closed, and that was it. We didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have social media back then. In a city that had 360,000 people, how were you going to get applications out in 30 days and get them back, making sure that they were correct? It was impossible. Dr. O'Neill figured out, you know what? We just need to find out if they're interested. And we can design this form, and we can put this out, Johnny. We can put it out the entire year. We can recruit all year. And when the applications are available, take a database over to the tax assessor's office and have them stuff the envelopes with the applications. We'll use census data. Anybody knows Dr. O'Neill? We'll use census data to send them to households of people who are 18 to 35, because that's the pension requirement in the state of New Jersey. We increased our efforts by 1,500% in one piece. This time, what we did in New Haven, I took what I learned from my mentor but now we're using media, social media. We're using programs like MailChimp. We're using um, uh, palm cards that uh, some of these kids like to go to clubs and all this other stuff. They use these small advertisements. We got those out. But we went to the community and said, you know what? The city doesn't have enough money. Can you buy 5,000 cards? Can you print 5,000 cards? Can you? And they printed the cards up. Great. You distribute them to your congregation, to your community, to your constituents. Our goal was to have 2,000 names in the database. We ended with 1,996. Then we took that database and put it into MailChimp. 
And we started pushing information out there because the new generation needs to be constantly reminded. Constantly, I raised two of them. Constantly reminded. We were able to do that, but we were able to track it with analytics to see if they were watching the videos, receiving the information. We got to pick out who was interested and who wasn't, and we pushed more information on them and more information on them. There's several other things that we did. I'll uh, make sure that I'm around to talk about it later. But we utilized media, technology, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. So kids, that, young people who were never exposed to the fire department, who never had any association with the fire department, were now looking at videos on how to prep, how to condition themselves, sample test questions. We made sure that they were oriented to the process, and then we could track it through analytics. That was the flyer. And that was just one of them. And if you notice, the emblems, we had buy-in from labor management, the minority firefighter community, each of them bought into it. We made sure we put on several different programs, pushing the information out early, telling them what the test components were. Because you know something else about this generation? They want to know what's next, and they want to know why. Next and why are like the two biggest questions that they have. And if you can have next and why ready for them all the time, you're going to engage them. And you're going to keep them. What I'm proud about is that most of the people that came through our process are on our list. I've met them six months before I hired them because I saw them at our sessions. I saw them in their practice sessions. And we were able to engage them through social media. I'm going to zip the rest of this out because I'm out of time. But we told them what the benefits were. We told them what they could have. These are all videos. I'm not going to play them. But these are all videos. We had to use a physical agility test because we are, have a limited license with CPAT. But guess what? If they looked on, on YouTube and found out how to do the CPAT, they could very easily pass our test. We only eliminated one evolution in the CPAT. And that's why we couldn't call it the CPAT. We had an all-women's boot camp. That's my mayor in the middle. Some of you will recognize a couple of the women from FDNY. We paired the women from FDNY's uh, uh, United Women group with some of my members who were interested in putting this boot camp on. We did a training session, and then we offered it to the women. But again, using the analytics, we were able to push it out. These are the YouTube videos. These are all members of the department talking about their experience coming into the fire service. Many of them said, I never thought about being a firefighter until I saw that card. When I saw the card, I read the information, I downloaded the link, and I realized I could do it. The rest is about testing. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't want to over, I don't want to go over. I don't do that. Great presentation. I, I really learned a lot. Um, as we close our, our diversity breakfast, I want to thank a couple of people.
for listening like what you heard today subscribe to the podcast and blog hashtag fire officer trust for show notes updates tips and more resources visit www.fireofficertrust.org don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so you never miss a show the fire officer trust a place for fire officers and those who aspire to be